And now the good news. I'm Barbara Schreiner Trudell, and I am so grateful to be here with you tonight. Well, we've got some terrific stories for you. One of them is kind of surprising in many ways, and that is the legalization of marijuana and the positive effect of that. Oh, how's that for good news? So in a landmark paper, economists have collected evidence on the societal implications of cannabis legalization and found it lowered the rates of suicide, binge drinking, traffic fatalities, and perhaps ironically, cannabis use in teenagers. That's interesting. Now that recreational cannabis is available in 18 states, and I'm in Canada, it's cross Canada here, it's legal, uh, and medically authorized in 36 states in the U.S., Concerns over the effects of widespread societal access are appearing as the motivation behind scientific research. Now, much of that scientific research has now been collected in a meta-analysis of 36 different papers published between 2013 and 2021, and it shows that the societal impact of cannabis legalization has led to some significant positive outcomes who knew so one of the one of the big things about the story was whether or not uh, this was going to increase the usage in teenagers but in fact it has reduced it and what they're suggesting is because it's legal that has sort of taken the illegal component out and therefore kids can't really go into these uh, these stores where you buy cannabis because they have to prove ID so, there might be a little bit of a difference there. So one of the things they talked about was that in the study, cannabis legislation was found that during the period between 1999 and 2010, to be inversely associated with opiate uh, overdose deaths, although since 2011 to 2017, the analysis has changed, but perhaps marijuana and prescription pain medications are substitutes. So, you know, a lot of people have talked about the fact that that cannabis can help with pain. So that could be a good thing. So authors found the legalizing marijuana for medicinal purposes was associated with nine to 10% reduction in traffic fatalities with larger negative effects on traffic fatalities included alcohol and, you know, weekend driving and evenings. So the good news is reducing suicides, reducing teenage use. You know what? Cannabis might be just a good thing in the long run. Hmm, who knew? All right. So going to the high seas, the UN Treaty for the High Seas finally drafted after 17 years of debate on language. And this is to ensure the conservation of species and their environment. A new UN Treaty on the Sustainable Use and Protection of the High Seas has finally been drafted after a two-week round-the-clock marathon of talks in New York. The agreed framework has overhauled the requirements of environmental impact assessments for natural resource extraction and set a universal standard for the procedure of conducting them and reporting findings. Furthermore, the treaty would grant the parties to the treaty the right to establish conservation zones and protected areas in international waters where no country would normally be able to enforce law. So the main efforts were carried out by the European Union, the UK, US and China and were rapidly accelerated through the summit in Montreal last year. However, discussions of the 
uh, additions to the Convention on the Law of the Seas have been ongoing since 2004. So among the work still to be done and will be to decide how marine protected areas in international waters will be established, managed, and the protections of them enforced. So there's still some work to be done, but this is a great first start that we can take a look at these waters, which of course are what sustain life in so many ways here. So this is really important, important work. So exciting news from the UN. All right, here's a fun story. Now, this one is, you know, how, how a young man decided to become a mentor and then how that translated down the road. So Pat Opre first met his little brother, Jason, back in 1984. He was eight and Pat was 18. Now, they're now 46 and 56, and whenever they meet, they just pick up wherever they left off. The photograph that was shown there is was in the Toronto Star in 1985, came together through Youth Assisting Youth. Yay! <laughs> Great name, eh? An organization offering Big Brothers-like mentoring programs, which still operates today throughout Toronto, pairing young adults age 16 to 29 with children age 6 to 15. Opre learned about Ye from a booth set up in his high school and because he had great parents and felt that he had something to offer, so he decided to step in. He and Jason spent a minimum of three hours a week together, and that was the commitment you had to make as a minimum. And from there, the two have become family. The two men consider each other family. Uh, I was at his wedding day, Opre says, and whenever I send him a birthday card, I sign it, Big Bro Pat. Well, Opre has two children of his own and took his interest in youth mentorship and education to the next level with his career path. A teacher for the past 30 years, he's currently All Saints Catholic Secondary School in Whitby, Ontario, a little bit north of where I live. Uh, it is an exciting thing to watch as young people choose to mentor those just a bit younger than them. So we have good people in our world. All right, now here's a, a story that could have had devastating repercussions. 911 dispatcher walks a family through CPR to save a toddler's life. This is, you know, the nightmare of parents, right? A two-year-old girl was found face down in her family's pool Sunday afternoon and is recovering after relatives pulled her out and started CPR with the guidance of a 911 supervisor until the rescue crew could arrive. Now, the home in De Leon Springs in Florida, after a 911 call at about 4.48 p.m. on Sunday, a two-year-old girl was found face down in an above-ground swimming pool while family members were watching other children. That family member jumped in the pool, pulled the toddler out. She immediately called 911 for help, telling the dispatcher that no one there knew CPR. So while sending units to the scene, Thomas Eggers began giving CPR instructions over the phone. And by doing that, they actually saved this little, this little child's life. So as of Monday, she's in hospital and she's reported to be doing well, showing promising signs of a full recovery. Wow. CPR, I think every parent should 
take up baby CPR. It's really important. We never know when we'll need it. I took one when my youngest child was born. And sure enough, at about a year old, she was choking. And I knew exactly what to do. It's a life-saving skill. And you never know when you might need it. All right. So here is a little story out of British Columbia, Canada. And this was you know, people do great things when they're given the opportunity. A woman dying of organ failure in Nanaimo, BC, is still living in a motel tonight after she says her landlord evicted her for disruptive end-of-life care. Mm. Sharon Kowalczyk and her husband are now on the hunt for a new apartment after tens of thousands of dollars were raised for them when the story went public. So... What's it? She says it's simply amazing. People are great. This couple was evicted because, you know, she's sick and needed all kinds of care. Sharon Kowalczyk, who was recently declared palliative by her doctor due to multiple organ failure, only has a few months left to live. She and her husband, Jerry, said they had been living at the rental home, paying $1,050 a month for a room and shared kitchen and bathroom. When their landlord told them their frequent ambulance calls were becoming a nuisance. The couple moved into a hotel, but Kowalczyk was hoping for a more comfortable living situation before she passes away. A GoFundMe was set up for the couple and it has raised $35,000. Woo, go people. So the BC woman is able to get a proper home and a proper environment as she, as she spends her last days. I think that's only reasonable. I can't imagine evicting somebody in those circumstances. That's me. All right. So some BC women are competing in a 15 day Moroccan rally across the Sahara desert. Wow. I'm not sure I'd be up for that. 10 days of driving across the Sahara in the rally is not exactly the type of adventure a pair of BC women ever expected to sign up for. Myra and Jessa are part of the annual all-women's rally, traveling for a week and a half through some very tricky terrain that presents all kinds of hazards in southern Morocco. The race, which ends March 18th, features 190 different crews from around the world and 14 of them from Canada. I didn't check to see how many from the U.S., but I'm sure there's a bunch. Uh, this rally has been supporting Moroccan villages in remote areas, building homes and schools with used water bottles and offering free medical care provided by the team of doctors and nurses set up for the rally. A Princeton uh all right, new story. <laughs> a Princeton resident found a giant ant fossil. Yes, I did say ant. <laughs> so this fossil comes from about 50 million years ago, and it's about a foot and a half long. No, half a foot long. My apologies. Half a foot long. An ant that's half a foot long. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to meet up with that one. It's called Titanic ant. Wow. Who knew? So, ants, anybody? <laughs> it's coming spring. Oh, and one final great fundraising story before we go to break. A BC broadcaster holding a fundraiser for the BC Children's Hospital in memory of a best friend. So the hockey play-by-play -play broadcaster, Joey Pitt, is raising money for the Children's Hospital with the help of the BC Hockey League. 
Uh, he raised $6,200 so far and donated it to Hospitals Wigs for Kids organization. How sweet is that? And it just started with his best friend who in the summer of 2019 uh, had a tumor on his neck and was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And things got bad and things got worse. And when he started treatment, uh, his friend joked with him saying, I'll donate my hair to him. And then he took a turn for the worse in June of 2022. But he had a chance to tell his friend about this fundraiser he wanted to do. And his friend said, I'm very proud of you. How sweet is that? Here I am getting all emotional again. Man, oh man, I'll tell you. Need somebody telling the news who can keep it straight. All right. This is a fun, fun story. This student showed up dressed as her teacher on Superhero Day. Oh, an eight-year-old girl in Arkansas dressed as her second grade teacher on Superhero Day. Uh, Ari Baker Elementary in Bentonville encouraged students to come dressed as your favorite superhero on the last day of Spirit Week. Her teacher, Jamie Day, who has taught at the school for eight years, arrived to work that day to find her student, Caroline Carlson, dressed just like her. Day said for her to think that she wants to look like me and that I'm her superhero just because of what I do to get together with them each day. She said it really touched her heart. Caroline's mom, Courtney, said all week her daughter was saying, I want to be like Miss Day. She's a superhero. So she messaged Day and asked her what she was wearing for Superhero Day. Day said she was blown away when she saw Caroline walk into the classroom wearing a denim jacket over a school spirit shirt with jeans. Caroline even asked her mother to curl her hair to match Day's curly locks. Day said that part melted her heart when she saw those curls and that she wanted her hair to look just like hers. Oh, it's so sweet, you know, the stories that come. And little Carolyn said, heroes don't have to have a cape or mask to be a superhero. They're just trying to change the world. Ms. Day is a great teacher. She doesn't just teach us teacher stuff. She also teaches us how to be kind and responsible and to be a good leader. Carolyn said the biggest lesson Day has taught her is to simply spread goodness. Aww. And on that note, let's take a short commercial break. You're watching The Good News, and we'll be right back. change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change when you change the way you look at things
And more of that good news. I'll tell you, we could use this seven days a week, I think. There's so much good stuff going on. Well, Drew Mer Drew Barrymore. Well, that's not a hard name to say. <laughs> so trans influencer uh, Dylan Mulvaney stopped by the Drew Barrymore show recently to discuss her ongoing TikTok series, 365 Days of Girlhood. Predictably, anti-trans trolls on social media have been trying to turn the heartwarming chat into a faux scandal, but Barrymore's fans are pushing back. Mulvaney's project has seen her posting videos every day for the past year, documenting the first year of her transition. The series culminated Monday in a live variety show at New York's Rainbow Room, making the one-year anniversary of Mulvaney coming out as trans. This is very personal for me, Barrymore said, welcoming Mulvaney on Monday's episode of her show. In a world where we're all trying to figure out who we're supposed to be, the risk, the bravery. She went on to ask Mulvaney about the advice she got. She was given by trans icon Laverne Cox and about how she deals with negative and transphobic responses to her content. She said, there's so much hatred directed at the trans community right now, Mulvaney said, it's everywhere. And I think the greatest weapon that I can contribute is trans joy and comedy and talking about hard subjects and really intricate moments of transition and try to let people in to see that I'm not a monster. I'm not somebody that is trying to do anything but be myself and be happy. Later in the interview, an emotional Barrymore knelt in front of Mulvaney and the two embraced as Mulvaney slid down to sit beside the host on the floor for a heart to heart about the, how they both deal with negativity. Thank you for joining me on the floor. Barrymore says the floor always feels safe, safer. It does, doesn't it? So after a commercial break, Barrymore told Mulvaney how much she loved watching her journey. I think there's always a way to be taught and educated, to open minds. And there are those who can. And I think you have that gift. It was truly a lovely moment. And of course, things blew up after that. But I think we stop there and we go, you know what? Yay, Drew Barrymore. Yay, Dylan, for being you. And for all of us to just honor that, you know, I live in my lane, in my life, in my journey, and you live in yours. And I should not be judging how you choose to live yours. So great message all the way around. All right. Well, the Oscars. Mm, well, now the Oscars were were something else on, on Sunday night. I got to say, it's a big switch from a couple of years ago when we hadn't seen a black actor win anything. And there was a lot of controversy around that. And now all of a sudden, the diversity is epic. I was I was really, really pleased to see the energy and the diversity and just some of the really fun things that happened as a result of you know things changing and the <laughs> the movie everything everywhere all at once oh my goodness you know Quan ran up onto the stage to hug ford and you know there's just this whole different energy. It felt different on Sunday night. And I think that's a step in the right direction. And I'm hoping that we will see more and more real people 
every year on the Oscars that will start to celebrate the diversity. I love that the Indian music won. You know, all the music was so beautiful and so wonderful, but it was so great to see that group, to see the actors that were with just the whole energy. I got to say, I liked it. I liked it. I mean, I went to bed early. I couldn't stay up all night, but I really did like what I saw. And I liked that things are changing. Someone was signing. That gentleman who was deaf was signing. Sorry, I don't know actors' names. I'm terrible at that. But I love to see the signing. And I think that's something we need to see more of in a lot of our programming is to ensure that that becomes part of it, not for one act, but for all. Anyway, that's me and my rant. All right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I liked the Oscars this year. It was, it was good. It made me cry, but it was good. All right. So a 27-year-old Dutch person finds a 1,000-year-old medieval treasure using a metal detector. How cool is that? So this young man from the Netherlands recently fulfilled to what seemed to be his destiny by finding an extremely rare hoard of gold jewelry from the high Middle Ages. This avid medi medical... Metal... <laughs> Washed it, can't do a thing with it. Avid metal detective since the age of 10, the 27 year old's all grown up now and a professional historian. He, now he discovered this treasure back in 2021 and it's been hard to keep it a secret for two years while the National Museum of Antiquities cleaned, dated and identified the objects. It consists of four decorated gold pendant earrings shaped like crescent moons, along with two pieces of gold leaf that fit together and 39 small silver coins, which date, back, date the treasure back to the years 1000 and 1250 CE. Wow. It was very special discovering something this valuable. He, he said, I can't really describe it. I never expected to discover anything like this. The 39 small silver pennies, as the coins are called, give a clue to the date when the treasure find was buried in or shortly after 1248. And uh, the museum uh, stated small pieces of textile found with the pennies indicate that they were wrapped in a cloth or a bag. Wow. The jewelry is around 200 years older with then what the museum saying it must have been a cherished possession. Northern Europe is rich in silver mines, but gold was much rarer at the time. So cool. And oh, firefighters, firefighters. So we just love firefighters. So this firefighter lures a trap dog off the ice using treats and then lifts him up a 10 foot wall. Patience, bribery, laughter, and a heck of a bicep muscle were all needed to rescue a helpless dog trapped after falling 10 feet into an ice-covered pool. The Michigan Animal Shelter Pound Buddies received several frantic calls on March 7th about a, tra a dog trapped in the old water filtration pond. The pond was frozen over, but with water clearly sloshing about over the ice, how long until the 60-pound husky plunged through? Well, that was anyone's guess. Pound Buddies called in the fire department, which arrived within minutes to rescue the pup. And it shows Lieutenant John Krieger climbing up the wall, gains the dog's trust with a treat, and then carries him up 
and out of the place. So finally, the timid dog came in for more of the scratches, allowing him to reach the dog's collar. And then all that strength brought him to safety. Oh, it's so sweet. Little doggies. And speaking of doggies, here's a refugee story out of Afghanistan. This dog, man, was away from its owner for a long time. The uh, Afghan refugee who was living in British Columbia was finally reunited with her dog, Lucky, after 10 months. Escaping Afghanistan at the time was important, but getting the dog and the cat back was a little harder work. It took some time. And the SPC International said that when he arrived in Vancouver at the international airport, you know, the anxiety, trauma and everything became a thing. And when they put him into foster care, they had some challenges because this dog can open a door. How cool is that? So Lucky is very, very funny. A big, goofy dog has no idea how big he is. He thinks he's a lap dog and he loves to play. He loves toys and he loves to open doors. So he's been bordered in Portland, Oregon and uh, is now back with his owner. And it was a very tearful, tail wagging reunion with friends and they're back together. How beautiful is that? You know, our pets become our family. They're not, uh, they're not separate from us. They are our family. They are a part of us and we fall in love with them and just being separated is tough. And I know I've got a, I've got a little dog and I've got two cats and they're getting up there in years. And I know the day's going to come when we're going to have to part ways. The good news is something we do every week. And I just want to say that I'm grateful to the Good News Network, uh, goodnewsnetwork.org, and the um, LGBTQ uh, positive messaging and sunny skies for providing this content that we use for the show. And I'm really grateful to be able to do this. I will be back next week, and then Reverend Robert will be back at the end of the month to take over the reins yet again. The idea of good news is so important. And in this teaching, one of the things we do is we stand up and we're counted. We stand for justice and equity. We stand for inclusion and diversity. We stand for the fact that we're all one. And what's really good news is we're seeing more and more in our world today where people are starting to really speak out to honor, respect, admire, and work with one another. My whole joy in life is cooperation, collaboration, community, and connection. All the C's. As we come together in those things, we begin to create a world that works really for the highest and best good of all concerned. Not just for people, but for animals, for wildlife, for the seas, for everything. And that's what we covered in the show tonight. All the good news about the earth that we live on, the universe that we're part of, and the family that we are connected to. Thank you for watching, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. And that's the good news. Bye for now.